0: Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to 1 John chapter 4. and It is good to have the Washburns here with us. They are like parents or grandparents to us, and they get the award for coming the farthest, all the way from Dover, Foxcroft, Maine. 1 John chapter 4. <clears throat> 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to read the first three verses. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is it is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the confidence and assurance we can have in thy truth, knowing that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that thou changest not. That word is forever settled. Father, we pray as we look into the word of God this morning. We allow the spirit of God to search our hearts, to try us, to test us according to your word. May you be glorified, have your will and way in each heart and life. And we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the message this morning is Projecting the Right Spirit. John, here, as he continues in this letter or this epistle, tells his beloved, he gives them a warning believe not every spirit. In other words, we would say this you can't believe everything you hear. The word spirit here, he uses it several times in this manner, uh, is defined as one in whom a spirit is manifest or embodied. Hence, equivalent to, or actuated by a spirit. So, whether divine or demonical. I'm not talking necessarily about the Holy Spirit. We're talking about just a spirit. It could be the Holy Spirit, divine, or it could be demonical or, or demon. One who is either, and it's talking about one, a person, who is either is truly moved by God's spirit or falsely boasts that he is. Um... Uh, for example, look in Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. Second Thessalonians, chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. And verse 2. It says that you be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by word, or neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us. That the day of Christ is at hand. So he's talking about here... Uh, uh, they, these people being shaken by and he says neither by spirit so somebody's saying something and saying they're directed by this, by a spirit uh 1 Corinthians 12:10 also talks about this and first of course and then in, in, in 1 John but but the spirit so the spirit here has the the uh, is the vital principle by which the body is emanated. And people can be directed or animated by different spirits. They can be be animated or directed by the Holy Spirit. A shout of God can. The world is animated or directed by the the demonic spirit of this age. And so it's kind of the, the, the rational spirit or the power by which a human being feels, thinks, decides. Uh, you know, it's their, their, their disposition or their influence which feels and governs the soul of anyone. And so, so when John says here to try the spirits, he's talking about trying the things you hear or the, the attitudes and the dispositions that you see coming from people. And, you, and he, when he says to try them, he means you need to test them. You need to examine them. Don't just believe everything you hear. Because not everything you hear is true. I think you all know that by now, don't you? If you live in this world. In fact, most of the information we get today, I'm afraid, is not true. Sad to say. You know, the influence which governed the Jews was the honor and glory of the temple and its forms of worship, which were given as a shadow. Of that which was to come, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ had come. And so this spirit or this attitude of the Jews that you need to, yeah, you need to, you know, there were some that were saying that, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. That's a spirit of Antichrist. It's a spirit of error. It's a spirit of error. And we got people today like that saying, well, yeah, you, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also need to do this, this, and this, and this. That's the spirit of Antichrist. One of the things that was becoming popular and the early churches were dealing with uh, in that day was Gnosticism. And, and John, I think, is writing to expose some of that because Gnosticism really is this idea that, that all matter is evil... If it's, but that which is spiritual is good, and so, so, and, and of course they denied the bodily resurrection of Christ. But so, so, matter is evil. So your body is evil, but your spirit can be good. Your spirit, and your soul can be good, and that's their idea that so you could live bodily wicked, but in your spirit you're you could be holy. That was what Gnosticism taught. You know that's very popular today too, in our world. In Christianity, quote-unquote, in our world is, oh, it doesn't matter how you live, as long as your heart's right. That's a bunch of baloney. It's a lie. We're to be holy in body and in spirit. But this was Gnosticism, and of course, they were also denying the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, John addressed this in the first chapter. In verse 1, he says, "...that which was from the beginning..." Jesus from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, on our hands have handled. We've touched Him. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a ghost before He went into the grave, and He wasn't a ghost when He came out of the grave. We touched Him. He wasn't just a spirit. That was Gnosticism. And so that was the spirit of the age. And and people are... You know, people are governed, a man lives from his spirit. They're governed by their spirit, from their heart. Stephen was directed by his spirit, by the Holy Spirit. In fact, look at look at Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6 and verse 8. Acts chapter 6 verse 8. Tells us, and Stephen, full of faith and power. Where did he get that power? The Holy Spirit. Full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then look at verse fifty-five. Of course, he, uh, chapter seven, verse fifty-five. Actually, I'm in chapter yeah, chapter seven, verse fifty-five. In verse chapter seven, verse fifty-five. You know he in chapter seven he gives this, this uh, his defense, and he gives this long history of the nation of Israel and how God did this for him and did that for him, and, and then provided and, and how all these things spoke about Christ who was to come, and then he pointed out that you're a bunch of stiff-necked and rebellious people, and you've been the betrayers and murderers. Of the prophets before, and you were the betrayers and the murderers of the Messiah of God, and of course they hated. They, they got angry. Verse fifty-five says, "But he looked. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God." See, Stephen was directed. He was led. He was controlled by the Spirit of God, and so the the Spirit that emanated from him was truth. It was truth. God was speaking through him truth. Whereas the Jews were filled with another spirit. He was Antichrist. And of course, that spirit led them to murder Stephen and shed his blood. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 4.1, The spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith. That word expressly there means clearly, distinctly. Again, the Spirit was speaking through the Apostle Paul, through the pen of the Apostle Paul. So John is saying here to us that there will be the many that will speak with or be directed by false prophets, demonic spirits, and you need to try them. You need to put them to the test. You know, the Bible says, if they speak not according to this word, they have no light in them. And so as we consider this this morning, as we consider the spirit of Antichrist, first of all, it is a denial of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 2, two and 3. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist where you've heard that it should come and even now already is it in the world. So it's a denial of the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, Chris mentioned in a Sunday school class this morning about names. Names are very important in the Bible. Very important. Names don't mean much today. Let me illustrate. The name Christian. You know, it was a title given to a certain group of people because of their conduct. The way they lived. It don't mean much today. There's lots of people that claim to be Christian that do not live. Because really the name means like Christ or little Christ. And there's lots of people that claim that name that do not live like Christ. The name Baptist. Again, it was a name, a title, a descriptive term given to a certain group of people. People like us. They did give them that. They didn't give themselves that name, it was given to them by their enemies. By those that hate him. It was first given Anabaptist, which means to baptize again because they refused to accept the baptism of the Roman Catholic Church and those of that lineage as we're looking at on Sunday afternoons. But so so that was, it was given by their enemies, but it identified a certain belief, a certain Bible practice. And the same is true of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the this, this spirit of Antichrist is a denial of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And, and I, I'm afraid there's common ignorance among Christians, again, even independent Baptists, of the importance of the names and titles of Jesus Christ. You know, have you ever thought about the fact that in the Bible, everyone has just one name? You know, my name is Jason Lee. now if my parents said that to me i knew i was in trouble you know um i also had a nickname i won't tell you what that was you know but anyway uh it it, it wasn't too bad but some of our family wasn't too good but anyway so so um but see i had three names that was my full given name but that isn't the way it is in the bible there was adam You know, we would say today, well, what was his last name? He didn't have one. There was Eve. There was Abraham. You know, he was first called Abram. God changed his name to Abraham, but he didn't have... He still didn't have two names. He was called Abraham. There was Moses. David. Paul. Peter. Now, Peter had several names that were given to him, but it was all still just first names. He was called also Simon. And he was also called Cephas, which means stone. Jesus gave him that name. Uh, but and so the, this was the way it was in the Bible. And of course, Jesus was given a name at his birth, which is Jesus. But he was also given a title, and and he actually two titles. In Matthew one twenty one, uh, at his birth. Uh, Joseph is instructed in Matthew tw- 1 and verse 21. It says, "And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." And the name Jesus means Savior. And and so that was his given name as far as humanity is concerned. You know, those people today that have the have the name Jesus. It's, you know, find it a little uncomfortable calling somebody that. But, but it's just a, a human name. But it does mean Savior. But he's given another name in this passage. In uh, verse 23 it says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They, they, they shall call. It, it doesn't say thou shalt call. It now says they shall call his name Emmanuel." Which being interpreted is God with us. So this is not just a name, this is a title that is given to him. Uh, it's a title, it, it, and it means God with us. The, you know, again, the interesting thing is Emmanuel. L means God. What would you get out of the first part of that? Man. This is man and God. You know, Bethel in the Old Testament, the word Bethel. Bethel means house of God. El always means God. And so here you have Emmanuel, man with God. He is the God man, it's a title given to him. And and again, this is vitally important to understand this. Uh, You know, so you have the union. What God is saying to, to Joseph here is. This is the union of God and man. Living among men. In Matthew 16, verse 16. Of course, Jesus had asked the disciples, Whom say ye that I am? Peter said, Thou art the, the Christ. The Christ. Again, it's a title. It's a name, but it's more than a name. It's a title. And that name, Christ... It means Messiah, anointed one. Again, the idea that he is God. He's the anointed of God. Uh, He's also given another name as Lord. You call me Master of the Lord? So I am. Matthew 13, 13. Uh, Peter called him Lord. Uh, In in John chapter 1, um, Nathaniel said, um, how do you say that? Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. So, so he's given you know, these different names. So he's given the Lord. The word Lord means master or he to one whom a person belongs or things belong. You know, if, he, if you call him Lord, everything you have and you yourself belong to him. You're his. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. And he has the one about deciding what you do with your life. He has the power of deciding. You guys are in the military. Brother Robert, Brother Brother Starlings. You had masters over you. You were not your own. You know, the saying is when you go into the, they said when you go into the, to the military, you know, especially the Marine Corps, they said, you get another mother. You, know, uh, you have one telling you what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. And you don't argue about it, unless you want booted. No, if he's our Lord, he, has, he is the one that has the power of deciding or directing our life. But see, the spirit of Antichrist is a denial of this. It's a denial of this. And this is what John says. Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. So if you deny that God was manifest in the flesh, that lived in flesh, if you deny that, you are Antichrist. You're against Christ. You're against it. See names are very important. It's sad to say, many of you don't understand who Jesus really is. Secondly, we see is denial of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, in verse two, hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. You know, the words is come here in this passage is a terse expression that, well, he that publicly appeared and approved himself to be God's son. It, it's the idea of Christ as the divine appeared among men and is going to appear again. You know, the same people that deny that Jesus rose from the bread also deny He's coming again. No, He appeared, and He's going to appear again. You know, the Bible tells us that very clearly in Acts chapter 1 and verses 10 and 11. Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. As He ascended up into heaven, of course, an angel appeared to His disciples... And it says, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into, man, into heaven. Now, you know, Jesus said, and again, this is a refutation of, Gnosticism, which denies the body of the resurrection of Christ, and you know, Jesus said to, his, to uh, I think it was T- uh, Thomas in Luke 24:39, "Behold my hands and my feet, that as I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have." You know, and of course, this is what we call it's called in theology the hypostatic union. That's a big word. that simply means God and man united in one. And this is what sets Jesus Christ apart or distinct from all of humanity. This is why he's referred to as the only begotten son. That, those two words, only begotten, mean one of a kind. Unique. He's different. Now, he was a man. He was a human being. He was as much a human being as you and I are, as, are a human being. He slept. He ate. He grew tired. He got thirsty. You know, he, he endured the hardships of life just like you and I did. He suffered. He died. But he was also God. He could say to the winds, be still. And they were still. He could say to the ways, be calm, and they were calm. He could say to a, to a man, rise up and walk, and he would rise up and walk. He could say to a dead boy, rise up, and he stood up, and life. He could speak to a grave. Lazarus come forth. You know why he said Lazarus come forth? Because he said it come forth, that it all come out. But he said Lazarus come forth, and Lazarus came forth, bound in grave clothes. You see, he's God. He's one of a kind. Though he was a man, a man, yet he is the also the eternal God. In John ten thirty, he said, "I and my Father are one." In John seventeen and verse three. There's an interesting statement there that we don't often consider, but this is what it means. It says, this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom whom thou hast sent. And the idea here is that I am the true God. Jesus Christ is also the true God. In in fact, in Titus, it's a little clearer in Titus, chapter uh, 2, where it says, looking for that blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the great God. I and my Father are one. Yet, He made Himself of no reputation. He didn't come into the world presenting Himself as somebody, as a king, or, or, you know, as as somebody that, that should be honored. I mean, He was born in a stinking stable and laid in a barred manger. But he made himself in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, came obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Hebrews 10.5 tells us, Wherefore, when he cometh in the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. In other words, you're not pleased with an animal or, or a substitute for me. I am the substitute, but a body hast thou prepared me. It's my body that had, his body that had to be sacrificed. This is why Paul said, turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. This is why Paul, and, I, and I'll think about this. You know, as we're going through Esther in Sunday school, and, and one of the main plots in the book of Esther is the fact that Mordecai will not bow to a man. Now, that was common to Jews. That was their practice. They didn't bow to men. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They wouldn't bow to that image of Nebuchadnezzar. They acknowledged no God, but Jehovah. Well, here in Ephesians chapter 3, you have this Jewish... Pharisee, former Pharisee. And and he says in verse 13, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. None of the Pharisees would bow to Jesus while he was on earth. They would not worship him. But Peter fell at his feet and worshipped him. Why? Because they understood that he was the Christ. They understood that he was God, that he was, and and they believed in in, in him as the eternal God, the one who would rise from the dead. So, this spirit of Antichrist is is also a denial of the resurrection or the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ. But... We also see here in this passage that the denial of the Lord Jesus Christ is a prevailing practice. Look at verse 3. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already it is in the world. Now, this is, you know, I have dates in my Bible, and the date above here in 1 John 3 is probably 90 A.D., so we're still in, in the first century. Uh, you know, Jesus died and rose from the grave you know, less than 60 years ago. We're Very early in the church history. And John says, this spirit is already in the world. And we looked look a little, little bit about this um, Sunday, last Sunday afternoon. And for example, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we see different ones writing about this. And even at Corinth, there were some that were denying the resurrection already. And, and this was prior to John's right. This, this is 30 years before John wrote the book of First John. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 says this, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain." yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up. If so be the dead, rise not. And so here at Corinth, there are already some starting to, to rise up and say, "I don't know about that resurrection of Jesus." I'm denying it. In Second Timothy chapter two, Paul names two guys by name. Uh, he identified them. In Second Timothy two verses sixteen or eighteen, he says, "Shun, but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as doth a canker." Of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, whom concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is already passed, and overthrow the faith of some. So they were saying the resurrection is already passed. Of course, Jude says there were some that denying the only Lord God. And our Lord Jesus Christ, and and then you have uh, uh, so that was the things that that were already taking place, and then you have Paul writing in Second Thessalonians chapter two, and warning us what would come. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verses three through seven, where he says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. That man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God." or that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. So Paul had warned the Thessalonian believers, look, there are going to be people, rise up, saying they're God. Saying they are equal with God. You know, to deny the lordship of Christ really is to say, he's no different than I am. He's just a man, too. There's a lot of people that say that believe in Jesus, but to them he's a good teacher, a good example. I'm sorry, but a good teacher and a good example is not going to save you from your sins. A good example and a good teacher cannot give you eternal life. And if he's just a good example and a good teacher, he's no better than any of the rest of us. That's, that's saying he's on the same plane as we are. He's, we're equal to him. And this is what the Antichrist is going to do, that uh, Paul writes about here in second Thessalonians chapter two. He's, he's going to declare that he is equal and he wants to be exalted and he wants to be worshiped just like Christ see, when one refuses to submit by repentance, what you're really declaring that Jesus Christ is unworthy of your submission, of your worship. It is the spirit of Antichrist. This philosophy shows itself by a lack of submission to the Lord's body church and his pastors Hebrews 13 two times tells us that we're to submit to them to have the rule over you you know one of the things that's pretty common here in the south is pastors many times referred to as preacher I have considered those that call me preacher I don't think there's anybody in this that's seated here this morning that calls me preacher. And I appreciate that. Because there is a big difference between a preacher and a pastor. Big difference. Anybody can be a preacher. In fact, the Bible refers to his people as preachers. Romans 14. How thick can they hear without a preacher? It's not referring to a pastor, it's referring to a Christian who who proclaims the gospel and they're called preachers. That's what the the title preacher really means. It's just, just somebody that declares the gospel, is a witness and testimony. But a pastor is somebody that gets involved in people's lives. He shepherds. He inspects. He examines. You know, one of the things a shepherd does for a sheep is he goes ahead of his sheep in the pasture and he looks for poisonous weeds. And he eliminates them. So the sheep don't get poisoned. A shepherd will examine. He'll have his sheep pass by him and he inspects them, looks for parasites. Just like you had a dog or At home, you would look for ticks on your dog. Or you come home and, you know, if you were out in the field or the grass or somewhere in the woods, you know, often i come home and look for ticks. You're examined. You're looking for parasites that, that suck the life out of you. And in this age of false spirits, there's parasites everywhere. That's what a pastor does. He inspects. He guards against predators, you know a shepherd was the guardian of the sheep. you know modern vernacular he would take his gun and use it on the to eliminate the predators, so he'd warn his sheep, he leads them to still waters, he feeds them on green pastures. You see. But the spirit of Antichrist, you know, a lot of people don't want a pastor. They don't want anybody examining their lives. They don't want anybody really, they really don't want help. They want to go to a church and listen to some preaching to satisfy their, their, their uh, sense of belonging or their sense of worshiping God and, and, and then live however they want. It's kind of like Brother Hoy was saying, you know, churches that really don't practice the Bible—that's a denial of the Lordship of Christ, because that's what God, the Lord, set up. That's what He did with His—that's what He did with His sheep. You know, He He told one of His sheep, "Get thou behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but to be of men." Other times he said to James and John, "You know not what manner of men you are." You sometimes pastors say, "Now, just think about what you're saying there. You know, that's not very Christ-like." You see, we also see it. He says, it's "Already in the world, so." This philosophy, look at, look at also at 2 Timothy, I, and I I thought I'd be done plenty of time this morning, but... 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, this philosophy we see here described in 2 Timothy 3, it says, This know also in the last days, per, days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, obedient to parents, unthankful, unholy... Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. Now these are not people that consider themselves heathen. They have a form of godliness. They think they are worshipping God. They think they are, are living the truth. And, and so, uh, and, you know, this, this, love of, this philosophy, this love of self philosophy permeates our world. And it is the spirit of Antichrist. You know, look at the description. They're lovers of their own selves. They're covetous. They're boasters. You know, people say, well, God's prospering me, so I must be doing what's right. Maybe. Maybe not. That's not a test of spirituality nor how busy you are in serving the Lord. That's not a test of spirituality either. Faithfulness is. And but, but they deny the power of God. That is, the power of God to transform and change their lives. To make Him master. See, genuine repentance is a surrender of our wicked will and desires and ambitions to the Lord Jesus Christ, to the Master who has the authority or the right to direct us. This is the thing that's lacking today. You know, just pray the prayer and accept Jesus and go on and you live your life and, you know, attend church once in a while. And Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Do you ever try to? Any of you ever try to talk to somebody that taught easy believism and talks about how many salvation decisions they get, and, 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 and ask them some questions and ex, and examine them? And do you, you, you ever try that? Usually, the kind of response you get it reminds me of what it says here in verse four: heady and high-minded. You know, start asking us, well, how many of those converts have you discipled? Well, um, uh, you know, well, how many are in your church? Oh, I don't know. You know, we haven't seen them since, but, you know. We can have a hundred professions, but none of them ever show up for church. You know, it's like Gary Forney said one time, it's impossible to disciple an unconverted person. You know, they get defensive. Say you're criticized. How dare you question all the professions they got? No. No. When we receive salvation that the Bible teaches, it's the salvation that's received from the Lord Jesus Christ. There's surrender and submission that comes along with it. That's really what repentance is. Now, people say, well, then that's making repentance work. No, repentance is a change of mind which always brings about a change of action. If there's no change of action, that's because there's been no change of mind. Yeah. You know, like I said the other morning, when the alarm clock went off at 6 o'clock, I changed my mind. I waited another half hour. <laughs> then I changed my mind again and I got out of bed. So I repented twice within a half hour. <laughs> and there was an action that went along with my change of mind. That's what John the Baptist told the Pharisees. Bring forth therefore fruits, meat for repentance. If there's repentance, it will show itself in a submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. the spirit of antichrist is very alive today in christian circles even in independent baptist churches circles you know, we need to be wise and beware and to understand that when we point somebody to jesus christ we're pointing them to the lord jesus christ Is he being manifest in your life? You know, have you come to Christ through repentance? Has he changed your life? 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There'll be a change. When a person repents of sin, and puts their faith in Christ. Have you done that?